On this episode of Off Course Agility, my guest is Pat Daggett, a NADAC judge. Today on Off Course Agility, my guest is Pat Daggett, uh, a NADAC judge, a person I go to trials with occasionally, and after I had spoke to Carol on the podcast, I realized that she, Carol had asked me if I remembered when we first met, and I, I, I kind of stumbled on the question, but it really was, I think, the first time I met both you and Carol was when I went to the beginning agility class at St. Hubert's that Carol was teaching, and you were also in it with uh, Druid. And it made me think that actually Carol and Pat Daggett, you two are actually probably the people that are in NADAC that I have known the longest. So welcome to the podcast, Pat. <laughs> well, I you, probably Margaret Mc, Mc, McEwen is up there pretty close. Right. I would think she, she comes in there pretty close. But I yeah. really met you guys first. So... Uh, but yes, she's probably the second longest person I've known in NAD, in NADAC also. <laughs> yeah, we, we we go back a ways. I think that was what, 2004, 2005? Right. I think it, I think I first started taking classes with Dino and it was 2004. Yeah. And then yeah. It, and it went into 2005 before I ever yeah. uh, tried to go to a trial. Yeah. Yeah, cuz his Druid was born in 2003. Okay. So. That's when I would have been. You know, I would have had to take all the all the the puppy training classes, you know, before we ever got into agility. Right. Yes. And yeah. that, and that, that's what I did too. And I do know. I I remember going to one agility class before I went to Carol's, and I know it was on a Sunday. I don't know if you'll remember, but it, I know it was a man named Tom that was the instructor on the Sunday class that I went yep. to. That was probably like intro to agility or something. Right. And uh, then I went to Carol's class because I think that was on a Tuesday night, and I didn't want to take a – I didn't really like going on the weekends. <laughs> Anyway, as I do with almost everyone, I, I like to ask, and I certainly really don't know the answer for you either, is how did you actually discover agility? I discovered agility by being Carol's chauffeur and her Sherpa. She started training and trialing before I did, and oh, I, I drove her to all the trials, and my job was to carry the crates and the tents and the tarps and the chairs and everything else. Okay, so you were you were you were the agility support person. Uh, I refer to myself as her Sherpa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. And, you know, the other thing is, uh, if you're not competing and you're not working, agility is very boring. Right, I would uh, I would agree with you probably on that. Well, yes, I I ended up. I mean, before I ever ran a dog, I had worked every job at an, at an agility trial except judge. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I even used to time old old gamblers. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. And, you know, 
you, people like like that when you were a Sherpa, I I have a lot of respect for the the people who that come along to trials and they don't necessarily have a dog yet they support the other person who's there. Uh, they they usually are great helps in running trials and uh, they're, they're like unsung people because they don't always get enough credit. <laughs> Well, like I said, it was out of sheer sheer boredom I did all the work. Right, because well, yeah, it's I understand it's a, you know go out and help do something as opposed to just sitting there and just waiting for it to be over. Right. <laughs> so I guess that does lead me to my next question. I know that we were in class together when you were first bringing up Druid, and I was first getting going with Dino. But did you, you have a dog before Druid? Yes. Okay. I had a I had a mixed breed rescue. That was my first agility dog. Okay. And what was that dog's name? That dog's name was Cassie. Cassie. And I used to say that was short for casserole of many breeds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and then how long did you run agility with Cassie? I ran agility. My first agility trial with Cassie was. April Fool's Day, Y2K. Ah, okay. So, and it was a total disaster. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I think we set the indoor record for most faults accumulated without being eliminated. Well, that's good. If you didn't get eliminated, that's uh... <laughs> didn't get eliminated. <laughs> Because I mean, I had I thought I had practiced everything there was in agility, the obstacles and everything else. And the one thing I had never thought of was being first dog on on the line for the for the trial. All right, yeah. Because I mean, they the gates the gate steward was sending out the first dog, and the ring wasn't ready, and they're passing folding chairs over my dog's head, and she. <laughs> She sort of freaked out. Okay, yeah, yeah. That, and it's rough. Uh, yeah. Now, obviously, you had been going to agility trials with Carl, but still, it's it's that first time on the course, It's you, you don't necessarily know what to expect. And, and well, it, I, that's it. That's my problem was I thought I did know what to expect. <laughs> right. You thought you had it under control, and I it turned out you didn't. Control, and my dogs informed me, no, you don't. <laughs> Well, that, and that's the other thing. I mean, dogs, when, when a dog at class or practice or whatever you want to call it is, is not necessarily the same dog when you get him in that trial environment. And based on what you just said, it sounded like it was an indoor trial. So that can be a totally different environment than like outside, too. Right. Well, that was the that was probably the only indoor trial on the East Coast at that time was in Westminster, Maryland, and I mean like every Maryland club had a trial in that building, the Carroll County Sports Center. Okay, and, uh, right, which I remember going to in year later's yeah later years I guess. Yeah. Uh, yes, that I mean, down in Westminster, Maryland. Yep. Yeah, that was a. Uh, yeah, we found Carol found that place. In probably her first year trialing back in '97, you know, she found that because I mean, you know, there were so few trials, right? Up, you know, in Northern Jersey and Southern New York, right? Yeah, for NADAC, yeah, you, you, definitely. Yeah, for being a New Jersey and 
I know I had talked to Carol, you know, you guys are in Pennsylvania now, but for the most part, you're from New Jersey. You know, we're from New Jersey during those years, like I am from New Jersey. And it, there's not a lot of trials in New Jersey. And back then, I, you know, I imagine there wasn't either. So you end then, up having to travel. The only trials in New Jersey were AKC trials and uh, Garden State ASCA trials. Right. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes the ASCA, though, was, was also NADAC, right? Almost, uh, almost every, every ASCA trial we ever went to was joined at the hip to, to NADAC. Okay. In right. which you could enter one trial and be getting points in two organizations. Okay, yes. Because I do think that maybe the first year... I think the very first year I went to a few trials with Dino, I think I went to one at the Sussex County Fairgrounds that was right. a joint trial between, uh, I don't remember right. the club, but it was ASCA. That was the NADAC. Garden State Australian Shepherd Club, G-S-A-C-A. Okay. All right. Very good. I know I we didn't do well. <laughs> Dino, I did not do well. And that, uh, and, and, that place, because, and this is how things have changed, at least in my history, I see it is so often now you go to trials and there's some sort of like ring barrier. And up there at, the, at that trial, it was just a rope. It was just a rope around the ring. Rope around the ring. That's all that was required back then. Right. And, and frankly, considering that, I think I've Dino did real well because he didn't he didn't he didn't leave me. He always came back to me, so I was happy about that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So and then then I know you had Druid and now you have Micah. And right. I'm kind of lousy with dogs. I know Micah was an Australian uh, um, Druid was an Australian shepherd. And right. Micah's is he a Australian shepherd or a border collie? He's a he's a border collie. He's a border collie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Why at my age I got a border collie? I'm still not sure, but <laughs> right. And Mike, Mike is pretty fast. Yeah, <laughs> Mike, Mike can move faster than I can think. Right. <laughs> and a lot of our runs, it shows. Okay. <laughs> you know, he, he's he's off course before I can tell him that he's going off course. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's the problem with the fast dogs. Yep. Yes, for yeah, that's for sure. And um, I'll ask. I think I may know the answer to this, but have you ever done any other venues other than NADAC? No, I haven't. Uh, well, other than ASCA, but that's because they were joined at the hip with uh, NADAC. Uh, well, you've got to remember when when I started back in the last century, there were only four agility organizations. AKC, ASCA, NADAC, and USDAA. Right. And around where we were, there was no USDAA, mm. and you needed a purebred dog to do AKC at that time. Right. So basically, the only organ, you know, I trained for NADAC because it was the only place I was going to be able to, to play. And, you know, that's where Carol had gone because her first dog was a mixed breed. Right. You know, so. Yeah, basically that was the only game in town for us. Yeah, and and even when I started in two thousand five, it wasn't that much different. Really, that's kind of how I ended up in NADAC because 
CPE really hadn't raised its head so much at that point, at least not visibly to me. Uh, and uh, so I ended up in NADAC because that's where I didn't have, you know, Dino was, you know, everybody, you looked at him, you knew he was a beagle, but I didn't have uh, papers on him. So right. I ended up also doing NADAC because they were accepting of everyone, or that's the way I felt at the time. But now, you know, AKC takes everybody now too, so. Right. <laughs> All right, that that that's uh, so that's uh, that's when you got started in in NADAC, and then I guess I'd like to ask how uh, how why, how and why did you become a judge? It goes well. First of all, I was following in Carol's foot, footsteps. I followed her into agility, you know, by being her Sherpa. Then I okay, I'll train a dog and I'll play in agility. And uh, I just remember in, you know, early in this century, the number of times Carol had to say no to a club, you know, when they asked her to judge, because she was either within six months or 200 miles of where they were. Right. You know, there, was, there was that time and mileage restriction. And then, you know, I was looking, you know, when the premium finally came out, you know, Carol said no, and here was a judge from... Canada or something, you know, because there were so few East Coast judges. You know, so I decided, all right, I'll become a judge and try to help out clubs, and I certainly didn't do it for the, the money. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, yeah, I don't think it's a way to make a lot of money. <laughs> you, no. You do have to kind of really want to do the job and love it. <laughs> yes. You, you, it, well, it's very interesting, you know, when you judge all over the country, the different weaknesses you see in different places. You know, in some places, well, back then, the teeter could be a weakness, or weave poles, or contacts. You know, it's, you know, the, but you could always spot that well-trained dog who could do everything. Right. And then, okay, I'm going to see you at championships, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right, yeah. So when when did you, what year about did you become a judge? I became a judge in, I think it was 2004. Okay, 2004. And then... And I know Carol did kind of go over a bit with me how, how, you know, like what you do to become a judge. But I assume then you also had to go to a judging clinic somewhere that year, too. Well, I, I, actually, I think it was 2003 then, because, yeah, because I went to the judging clinic in, in Georgia. All right. So that was... You know, the, you know, it's, the process is you need to be recommended by other judges. Okay. In other words, you express an interest to a judge at a trial, and you know, and your course building, you know, they're seeing what you can do. Yes. And basically, if you can't course build, don't even try. Right. I, I would think that's probably the biggest and most yeah. important component of becoming a judge, because you have to, you know, walk after the course is built, hopefully by a course builder or a club, you have to walk it and be sure it's exactly right. Yeah. And, and well, all actually, that. in some cases, you have to build it. In other words, you have people helping you move equipment. Right. But in some cases, you know, there's no one 
who even has any idea how to take that piece of paper and transform it into something on on the ground. Right, and I have I have witnessed uh, many a judge uh, being the the course builder, and I always feel bad for <laughs> uh, judges over the years where I I noticed that and that they were they were the ones pretty much doing the course building. You know, people helped them, but they were really doing the whole thing. You know, by directing it and stuff. Sometimes that's actually easier because if the people out there don't know what they're doing, you end up having to rebuild it anyway. Right. And that just, you know, bothers the competitors because it takes twice as long. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, you know, the, one of the main things you always have to take into consideration is the, the competitors. You want to be efficient. Yeah, there's, there's nothing, yeah, nothing makes for a, a trial, a trial that just moves too slow is, I know it, it always <laughs> annoyed me because, you know, I did compete back in the years where sometimes trials had a lot of people. And I remember yeah. sometimes where a trial would not end till like six o'clock at night or sometimes seven, you know, towards that. And I was like, and, you know, I usually was a novice and sometimes it would, you know, I was waiting for whatever that last class was. And it, it's, I just, and I remember a few times just leaving too because I was like, I'm not waiting this long. <laughs> so, right, yeah, I understand, and I, I definitely understand that. So, yeah, that's you- why I was always shocked. So, 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 some of the clubs that I used to judge for, you know, like out in Michigan and uh, Wisconsin, they provide lunch for the competitors. Right. Okay. And they want to stop in the middle of the trial. And have lunch. Okay. And, you know, we're coming from the East Coast where we're all about efficiency. It's, oh, you, you want to stop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever had a trial where we, we, we took, where we, it stopped to have a lunch break. I don't think that, I don't recall ever being at a trial that did that. So, I remember there was one out in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. I was judging with another judge, and they said, uh, they came to, the other judge and I, and they said, we'd like to stop about 12 for a bratwurst lunch. And the, ju- the other judge and I looked at each other, and so they said, well, if you wait to 1230, we'll, we'll be finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, know, you, you can feed the people and, and send them home. <laughs> Right. Well, that's interesting how that that could be. Of course, now the way the current situation that wouldn't happen. But yeah, that's interesting how different areas of the country do different things. Well, yeah. I I know I asked Carol this question. I'm going to ask it to do. What is the the furthest you've gone to judge? The furthest I've gone to judge was Seattle, Washington. Okay. That yeah, that sounds pretty far all yeah. the way to the other coast. Yeah, and I'll ask. You know, over the time, do you have any favorite moments uh, being a judge? Anything stick out in your mind where you had something funny or something that was a real, uh, you know, something that really... I would say, and it, it's happened several times, when you see a competitor having a horrible Saturday, you know, their dog is ignoring them or their dog is just acting up or the dog's you know, fouls the ring a couple times, and you've eliminated them every run on Saturday. And then you see them on Sunday, and they have a good run. I would say, you know, no matter where it happens, as a judge, that's just thrilling. 
when you see somebody get it together, get over that first day jitters, and you know work with their partner on the second day and actually su- succeed. Yeah, that that would be. Yeah, I I could see that would be. Uh, that would be uh, really really cool. <laughs> A really cool thing to do. Yeah, because I mean, you just feel so bad when they. Because I, I mean, well, I've had it where, you know. First one, the dog is just totally out of out of control. I mean, it won't do anything. And then they finally get them. Well, okay, they're working with me, and the dog has to stop and pee on a jump. You know, it's you know, it's just a total frustration you see in the competitor. Right. And then they come back Sunday, and okay, now now they're working as a team. Yeah, it's just so good to see. Yep. Yeah. All right. And then on the the flip side. Uh, and maybe you don't want to mention any names specifically, but have you had any really, really bad experiences as a judge? I'd say the most frustrating thing, I mean, every organization, their their premium is about the same as far as saying, I understand and know the rules. All right. And until recently, you worked your way up in NADAC. And when somebody comes up and, you know, they, they miss a contact and they're in elite, and they come up and say, I didn't know I had to touch it. You know, it's just, you know, please, give me a break. <laughs> you know the rules. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. Yeah, I can see that from a judge's point of view. That would be frustrating yeah. if people are coming to you and saying something is really that they don't understand the rules of the game they're playing. I, I would say, and it's probably the most... The thing that left me the most speechless was a couple years ago, you know, NADAC has a barrel. And it basically is replacing that C-shape or U-shape tunnel. And I had a course where the barrel was taken twice. And, I, you know, I briefed them in my briefing. I said, as number four, the barrel is bidirectional. As number 13, the barrel is performed clockwise. And I had a competitor, dead straight face, say, but my watch is digital. (laughs) I was speechless. I did not know if she was serious. (laughs) But I mean, excuse me. I mean, all right, you're young. You may have never seen a clock that had dials. (laughs) (laughs) That, 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 I would, yeah, that is something I uh, (laughs) would. That's a good one. <laughs> I was just—I was speechless. Wow! All right, and with that, I think maybe I'm going to take a uh, quick break, and we'll be back with uh, some more. So, uh, just a quick break, Pat. Okay. And I'm back with Pat Daggett on this episode of Off Course Agility. And, Pat, I know over the years, occasionally, uh, I've talked to you at trials because we've been to a lot together. And I know you've always been a, involved with uh, course design. So I'd like to ask some questions about course design. And I know now, NADAC, uh, I know in a lot of, not a super amount of trials are being held this year, but judges uh, this year are to design their own courses. So... I guess I first question is like how how do you come up with the courses in your head and how does that all work? Well, for me, 
I'm always looking at the judgeability of a course because I don't want to be running around a lot. So in other words, when I design a course, I try to have the contacts going in one direction so that I can stand, you know, stand in one place to see the dog walk, the downside of the dog walk, and just look across the ring and see the downside of the A-frame. Right. Without, without having to move back and forth. Because I always want to stand on the dog walk side of the ring. Because okay. the, the dog walk is narrower, so it's, it's harder to judge. If, for me, being vertically challenged, I need to be closer to the dog walk to judge it. So that's where I start. Okay, so you kind of lay down that, uh, I guess like for a regular course, you would kind of lay in your dog walk and A-frame. Right, and then it's, you know, then it's just a <laughs> how to get from point A to point B, point A being the start and point B being the finish, and, you know, just, you know, get everything you need out there. Right. And it's, uh, it, I find it interesting. Right. It, it's uh, yeah. I I can't say how I do it because I probably don't. Except for the contacts going in the same direction, I probably don't do it the same every every time. You know, I try not to. Right. Okay. So it's uh, just you know work in challenges, and I'm always I'm always looking forward to open and novice. You know, keep everything nested. So that the course building is easy, right? So yeah. So you try to I keep mean, yeah. One of the most frustrating things for me as a judge when I get somebody else's courses and everything moves to go from elite to open. Right. It doesn't move far, but it moves. You know, the every jump moves a little bit, and you know that's just it. It makes for a very long day. Right. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying there. That's that's for sure. And I guess, you know, you always have, like on a regular course, the, the weave pole changes between a novice and, and open and well, the open and elite, I think, are the same, right? I'm trying right. to remember. So uh, so you do have that change. But other than that, yeah. And then, you know, open always has more obstacles and then elite always has a few more um, but I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, how how it's good to keep the like the, the I don't the base components of a design kind of in the oh, same yeah. spot. You, you you don't want to move the contacts. And then I mean, once you put your contacts down for the day, you want them to stay there for every class that's using contacts. Right. And then I, I mean, you, you may take one out for chances. Right. Yep. And and then, like for each of the classes, like you know, regular touch and go, uh, whatever the class, are there like kind of guidelines? Like for touch and go, are you supposed to use so many uh, hoops and tunnels, or is it really up to you to an extent? Because well, touch and go I mean, doesn't change between the classes except for intro. Right. The the rule the. What you want to do is you don't want touch and go. I'll take touch and go. You don't want touch and go to be more than 16 obstacles. Okay. And what you're looking at is yardage. 
but you don't want it to be as long as elite regular was. All right. Yep. So that'll dictate, you know, how many tunnels you're going to use because tunnels add add yardage. I remember one time I was I submitted a set of courses. This is back when Sharon Nelson was running NADAC, and just out of sheer boredom, I built chances off my touch and go course. And I submitted the set of courses, and probably it was no more than two or three minutes, I got an email back from Sharon saying, you want to check the yardage on your chances course? I left too many tunnels. The course couldn't be done in 40 seconds, which is, <laughs> which is the maximum time for right. chances, because I've left too many tunnels in. I mean, the yardage was just too long. Right. <laughs> so I mean, that's one of the things you know, you've got to you've got to be aware of distance, time, judgeability, all that comes into play in in, in course design. Right, and since you kind of mentioned it, I assume uh, that there is still some sort of review. Back then, oh, it sounded like yeah. Sharon took a close look at all the courses. But someone must take when when a judge is hired to to do a trial, and then they do design courses for whatever the layout is at wherever they're going. Uh, I s they must submit that set of courses for some sort oh, yeah, of review. We, we have to submit the full set of courses needed for the trial, and they have to be approved. Because I mean, even as a judge, you don't put the bonus lines down. If there's going to be a bonus box or a bonus lines. You don't put that down. You you have to design your course with that in mind. But right. they're, they, the reviewers are going to put the lines down. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's the one thing I see most often about courses that I submit. My chances courses, the, my layout doesn't change, but the placement of my challenge lines does. And, you know, basically, I, when I submit my courses, I basically have made it too hard. Right, okay. You know, when the courses come back to me, the lines have always been made a little easier than what I submitted. In my mind, they've been made a little easier than what I submitted. Right. And what's in your mind and what ends up on the ground can always be different. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and what, how easy it is in your mind may not be how easy it is in mine. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, one of the cardinal rules when you're, when you're judging is it's got to stay safe. Right. And, I mean, you know, you may have a set of courses, and the set of courses may be approved, and everything's fine, and you get to the site, and, okay, that's not going to work, because we've got a slab of granite over there in that corner. Right. Which, would, you know, which makes you have to, like, yeah, you know, the course has to modify. The course has, 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 has to change, because we're not going to have the dog doing weave holes on a slab of granite. Right. Yes, so that's another challenge for for the judges when they actually show up and and you know are setting those courses when when they're on on site. Oh yeah, it's you know, it sometimes things go out the window. <laughs> right, and and I'm not sure how much you you know, but I'm going to ask the question and you can tell me. Uh, so the courses. Now they get designed. I know sometimes I see judges' names on them, and sometimes I don't. But is that optional for the judge, or, or you can take credit, or or, or not? Uh, do you know? Uh, most judges, I think, 
in the last, well, last year, uh, every course I've seen has been you know, designed by or submitted by, and the, the judge's name is on it. And, you know, they want to put your name on it. Right. Because, I mean, you may submit a set of courses for a trial, and it doesn't get approved. Right. So you're going to get a set of courses for the truckers. They're never going to leave the, the club hanging with, you know, for, for not having courses. Right, yes. So you may get courses designed by somebody else. Right. And, you know, I mean, there's some people who they just don't like to design courses or they can't do it well. And what we do now is you can go and select courses, you know, for your size ring and, you know, they'll go, okay, these courses were designed by Joe, Joe Blow or Jane Smith, you know, and they, you know, but they fit the ring that I've got a judge in. Right. And what we're now with the, uh, with the plague going on, judges are being thrown in at the last minute for a trial, you know, because yes. nobody's going to get on a plane or go to a hotel or something. So it's a local judge and they just, you know, there's a, I can't design that many courses. Right. Yes. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, this year, everything this year is um, different than it would have been, let's say, and, yeah. and how it'll be hopefully in the future, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I've been doing this year is I've been designing courses for the, for the video runs. Okay. And I was actually going to ask that. Now, I've noticed most, I'd say most of the courses on the, the VT program, they don't seem to have anybody's name on it. Is that because they're older courses, or a lot, of, a, a lot of them are designed by the by the NADAC management? You know, the, the Chris and Amanda and Jimmy, right? And you know, okay, you know, they're designing a lot of them. Okay, well, I, I have noticed that because they've been releasing a small course. Space, yeah. a small space. I've, I've, I've never tried to do the the small course, right? And it's still not super small. I think it's sixty by sixty, which is certainly smaller than a regular. That's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, but I noticed on most of those, I have been seeing so, like I've seen Amanda's name and I've seen Jimmy's name right. and uh, Marcy, Maddie's. Yeah. Uh, so I have been seeing some names on those, but the the course sets for the. Uh, more normal size rings. I haven't noticed so many names. I don't think I've noticed any names yet. So that's all I was, I was just curious. Maybe these are still older sets that have been used in the past, or maybe they're not putting them on there. I don't know. I, that's not really, probably not a question for you, Pat, but, uh, but it is kind of why I asked the question, because I have been noticing names on some courses and, and not others. Well, well like I said, you, the, you're supposed to submit a set of courses for your trial. Right. And some people, they just can't do it. You know, they just don't have that skill set. They can judge and they can build perfectly, but, you know, the concept of coming up with something off a blank piece of paper is just too much for them. Right, because, I mean, I, I, I mean truthfully, I'll say, I, I think that's a totally different skill set. And you can be a really fine judge and set a fine course from, you know, a course map, but you may just not, and it may just not be worth the time, too, for the, 
<laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's you know it takes it takes some time. I mean you you stop and think, you know you got four rounds of regular, four rounds of jumpers. Yeah. You know you got well, I'm going to say two rounds of chances. You know you because on one set all you're doing is moving lines. Right. You know, but yeah, you know, you've got like 24 courses you've got to design for a set. Yes. Yeah, it's a lot of that's a lot of work. Yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> and then I assume you, I, I, there, there's some sort of software. I mean, I've never, I'm not a course designer, but you do have a computer software to be able to do yes, this. Yes, we do. It's it's Clean Run Course Design. Okay, it's the Clean Run. CRC, yeah. CRC days, you know, we call it. I think we're up to version four now. Okay. Yeah. So you you use this this software to. Uh, to, yeah. to lay it all out on the... On right. the well, the, the software, you start with, okay, what venue am I in? You know, AKC, NADAC, USDAA, CPE. You know, so, okay. Right. You know, I, we pick NADAC when we come up with our possible... Uh, obstacles. obstacles. We don't have a teeter, but we have barrels and hoops. Right, yeah. If you pick AKC, you've got a teeter, but you don't have barrels and hoops. Right. So I'll go back to regular uh, and kind of finish up with this subject. But like for a regular course, is there any guideline? Like, do you need so many jumps, so many hoops? Do you need, a barrel doesn't always have to be there, but can be. Are there any kind of guidelines or rules, or is it really the creativity of the person making the course? The all right, I'll, I'll address barrel first. A barrel should be on a regular course if it's the only obstacle that works in that position. Okay. In other words, if the, you really don't want the dog taking that sharp a turn in a tunnel. Okay, right. You know, for, for safety. Yes. You know, remember, remembering how tunnels will move. You know, the first dog has that nice arc in the tunnel that the judge and the course builders put in. Right. But if the first dog is a 95-pound lab, that arc is gone after the first dog, and you've got a V-point up there. Right. So that may say, okay, I'm up there in that corner, I'm going to put a barrel, simply because I know what's going to happen to the tunnel as the dogs run, and I don't want to have to reset the tunnel after every dog. Right. You know, but other than that, it's, uh, you know, it's whatever, whatever works. The, uh, I would say the guideline is for ring crew, you want to not have jumps and hoops spaced out all over the course. You know, try to have it so that two people can reach all the jumps. Yes. Okay, that's another consideration, you know, yeah. You know, you know, we take, like, a corner using a third of the ring and have your jumps there so that, you know, you don't need seven ring crew out. I mean, you think of the difference between how many ring crew you need for regular and how many you need for jumpers. Right. Yeah, jumpers, you, you know, jumpers, you like four people setting bars is always the best number, I think. Right. It, you know, you, you just... You you know you're going to need a lot of ring crew for jumpers. Yeah. You don't want to need anywhere near that many for regular. Yes. 
Yeah, that, yeah, good points. I, you know, you you don't think all that, but it it does. If the judge thinks about it in the design, it makes for the trial to 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 possibly run better too. And, oh yeah. yeah, I mean you're you're always thinking of the the competitors. You want a course that's challenging but not impossible, and you've got to remember that it's volunteer help. You don't want to be running them into the ground. Right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, I, that I think that covers my my uh, questions on the course design, and uh, that that's all really interesting to me because really I I didn't know much about it. So uh, you, know, the, uh, you got to remember too, competitors can des- can design courses and and submit them. Really? To, oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you could you could get CRCD, and you could design a set of courses and submit them. And yet, for a competitor, it doesn't need to be a full set. In mm. other words, you may have some ideas for jumpers, right? That you'd like to see. You can design a jumper set and submit it. Yeah. Okay. But you can, yeah. As a you have to design the full set. In other words, you you need a lead open nine right. and intro. Yeah. You have to design all four. Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, I I don't know that I'm going to go there because I don't know that I. But I mean, you can. You know, other people are going to listen to this, and they. I don't want them to think that it's only judges that can design courses. Yeah. No, I understand, and, and that's that's nice to know. And I would think Nadek would would. Uh, you know, I mean, that doesn't you can submit it doesn't mean they're going to use it, but right. yeah, yeah, okay. Well, that's good to know. I really I didn't know that, Pat. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you know, I personally sometimes just run out of ideas. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll start designing a set and I get to jumpers and I say, oh my god, I have no idea what I'm going to do now. Right. And you know, every you know when you see a course like. Because now the oh, really the only courses I'm seeing occasionally I I go to a, a virtual trial where there's maybe one course but uh, Bell ran a course recently and it, it had something I, I'm sure I probably saw it before but on the elite course I kind of liked it and I don't I hadn't remembered seeing it before and it was in the one corner when you were coming in, you were coming toward the back corner of the course and you you know you had the dog walk which was going to lead out to the end but before you did that you had to like call your dog off to the right to go into like a half moon tunnel to do a, like a well you know it wasn't a pinwheel but it was like a tunnel spin i kind of called it you were you kind of went into a hoop and then a tunnel and then you went back i think to the to the whatever the corner i don't know if it was a hoop or a jump and then you went out and you finished the run so i was like right at the very end there you had to do this like little spinner spin and i was like wow that's uh, that's a nice idea i hadn't seen a course like that that i remember but remember i, I never really walked elite leanne runs elite now with bell so i i take more notice of what the elite courses are well that's that sounds to me like somebody needed to build in another change of sides for for the challenge purposes. Mhm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know, but it was it was nice, you know. It was like you know, you were talking about guidelines and everything, you know, that's one of the things you're looking at, you know, as you're designing courses for elite you want there to be three or four changes of side. You know, crosses for the handler and dog. You know, so the handler is Having to, you know, you, you, right. you don't want the whole course to run with the dog handling on your left. 
Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yes. You know, so you want to have those changes of sides in. Right. And, you know, you, when you design your courses, you want to say, okay, I don't want there to be four changes of sides when I get down to novice. Right. And, and while, I'm, while we're still on courses there, I, it, it brings it out, this up too. I, one, a course I recently ran with Trace, even though he technically, I think of him as an intro dog, but it was a non, the novice regular course. I ran this course, and there were, I think, there were definitely two discriminations. There may have been three. And in intro, of course, there's none. And I was so happy that I got him into the one discrimination properly. And anyway, I don't have to go through that whole story. I think I mentioned it in one of my former podcasts. I was really happy on this tunnel, but then I got so excited he popped out of the tunnel and went back up the dogwalk. But, but... The thing is, uh, this was a VT run that was at St. Hubert's, and then Linda, who who does the the VTs, like later that week, she ran the reverse of the course again for VT. But I didn't go that day, but I happened to watch a video of the novice, and going the opposite direction, there were no discriminations. Not one, because the course was just... When you ran it the reverse, there was no discrimination. I was like, damn, I wish I had that one. <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way it works sometimes. So in, in regards to the things like discriminations, is there like, you know, it's up to the judge on that too? Like, you know, how many to put in? That's not recommended that you have all the discriminations in one direction and none in the other. Right. I mean, the, 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 that course would be frowned upon but you know if if it works it works but you know what i always try to have the discriminations change when i reverse the course but i want there to still be a discrimination right yeah in other words first time through you take the tunnel second time through you take the dog walk right yeah yeah i mean maybe there was one but i i don't think I don't think there was. I think when you ran it the other direction, there were none. <laughs> That's no. totally possible. I mean, I've, I've, had, I've had that when I design courses. You know, I, okay, I like this course, boom. And part of CRCD is you can just click a command, reverse the course. Okay. And the, and the numbers flip. Oh, that's nice, yeah. You know, you don't, and then all of a sudden you look at it and say, well, gee, that's nice, but there's no challenge here. You know, on round two, there's now no challenge. Right. Yeah. Which means, okay, i got to go back to round one and fix that so that when I reverse it, there's still challenge. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot in course design, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. And s- sometimes it just flows out of your head onto the piece of paper, and sometimes it, it there's nothing happening. <laughs> right. It's a blank piece of paper, and it's staying a blank piece of paper. Yeah. All right. So I think I'll just change uh, subjects real quick here before we wrap up and 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 ask about champs. I know you've been to quite a few champs. So how many champs have you gone to over the years in NADAC? I've gone to one more than I competed in because the first time Carol went was 2005. And I okay. was just her Sherpa. Sure. That one. <laughs> okay. but, but I've been, let's see, 9, 10, 11, 13, 15, 17, 19. I've competed in seven. Wow. Okay. Between Druid and Micah. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
Yeah. And there's one thing I will say universally. I've said this to my students, and I've, ex I've experienced it myself. I don't know how, but the dogs know they're at champs. Right. It's it, like it, they know this ain't AAA anymore. I'm going to see that 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And right. the dogs know it. Yeah. I don't know how they know it, but dogs play over their head at champs. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different, there's definitely a different environment. Not that I could talk to it, but I've seen, you know, I've seen Leanne at it. And uh, even even Belle, and she's only done pre-elite, but I, you know, I can, it's, I, I know what you're saying. And it's, when you watch the elite dogs, it's it's really something to watch those elite dogs. Well, it's amazing when you, when you see a dog that you've judged. Right. You know, you've, you've seen them during the course of the year at, a, at trials. And they're going to their first champs, and they get to champs, and that dog plays so much better than it did at every trial you saw. Right. Because they just know, like I said, this ain't AAA anymore. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so going along with the champs, I'm going to kind of pull in the judge question out here a bit here. And what, what was the furthest champs you went to then? Gillette, Wyoming. So you, you did go out to Gillette, Wyoming yes. one year. I went out there with Druid, and the altitude killed me. Okay, yeah. I should have gotten there th three days sooner than I did because I couldn't breathe until Sunday. <laughs> okay, so you need more, a little bit of – so that's uh, something to know. You need a little time to acclimate when yeah, you're going I, to I, – I, I got there Wednesday. Champ started on Thursday. And I was still getting acclimated until Sunday morning. I mean, I just, I was running out of air. Right. You know, halfway or three quarters of the way through the courses on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right. Well, when you're from the East Coast here, where our elevation's like 500 feet or something, and you go out yeah, to the Rocky I mean, Mountains, I don't know what the elevation is, but it's different. You think you're, when you're driving out, you know, you're going on Route 80, and in Pennsylvania, there's that sign, highest point on Route 80, east of the Mississippi, and it's 1,836 feet. <laughs> right. And you get down, you get out to Gillette, Wyoming, and you've been going downhill for two hours, and you pass a sign that says elevation 4,500 feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit different. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a diff, it's, it's physically different working out there. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. And then I know just from observation, uh, I think it might have been the one in Sunbury. I noticed it, but when judges go to champs, uh, do you guys get a few duties assigned by NADAC sometimes? Because I remember. At the first champs I, I was observer at in Sunbury, I remember Chris, I remember him making an announcement, we're having a meeting for all the judges that are here. Was that just a judging meeting, or was it to ask you to help with champs? We got some blank pieces of paper over there we need filled up with, with, with names. Yeah, okay. It was, it was recruiting the judges to help run the play, to run the, tri, uh, the bar, champs. Bar setters... You know, any any competitor can be a bar setter, right. but at champs you've got you know the judges that are judging champs can't say good luck because they can't see it. So they need judges as starters. Right. So you know that you know you need a judge start and finish. 
The Finnish judge says, you know, gives a signal because you got the gates and everything. You can't see the, ju- the dog that just finished. Right. But you need to know that dog's under control before you start the right. next dog. Right. And I know from, I, I, I don't remember which one it was, but the one I remember there was like a real shoot that let, let out on the, out of the, uh, the, the run so like I, I, the judge in, that was in the arena the two judges in the arena they couldn't necessarily see once that dog went out all the way down the chute there so I can see what you're saying you might need yeah. you need the judge yeah, the, to the, start the, the him starter, and to the end starter, the starter judge can't see the finished the finished dog yeah because they go through the last obstacle and they're behind the curtains right so they need another judge over there to say okay that dog is what we call under control yeah. Which is on leash and the handler's holding the correct end of the leash. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So out of all those those champs, uh, I know, the most recent one, I know you were in the, the finals with uh, Micah. Uh, was that your best finish ever in, in, in champs? The last, the last time Micah was in finals for Elite which was his best showing ever. And with Druid, I never made the finals. Yeah, wow. Yeah, And, and Druid was Mike, a good dog. <laughs> Druid was a good dog, but we always had that one zero run. Okay. Words, and like I said, Gillette, yeah, we would just blow up. Because, I, I mean, the, you know, I had zeros probably half of the first six, six runs simply because I, I couldn't breathe. Right. Yeah. But, you know, Micah, well, different dog, yeah. and he plays different. Yeah. Well, they're, all, they're all different, that's for sure. Yeah. So, okay. Well, that's good. Uh, is there anything else you want to cover? Because I think I've pretty much covered everything that I had jotted down here. I think that's, I think you've, you've done a good job of covering everything. <laughs> All right. Well, I thank you, Pat. And I do hope that I get to see you somewhere down the road at a real trial or at, like at a seminar, because I usually see you at Lisa's seminar in May, uh, which we didn't get to have we this year. didn't get to have this year. And I missed I that. I, I don't know if Lisa's had a trial this year anywhere. Yeah, I know I, I was supposed to judge for her out in Illinois, and she had to cancel because of the plague. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I should reach out to Lisa. She'd be another good guest. So maybe I'll have to reach out to Lisa Schmidt and see if she wants to pop on. So, uh, but I do thank you, Pat, for, uh, for joining me. And, uh, it was good to get the, uh, other half of the Daggett, uh, trial team on. <laughs> now I've had both of you. So, uh, we have both of your stories for uh, perpetuity. All righty. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Pat. Bye. And a quick final. I had so much fun uh, talking with Pat Daggett that this is one of my longest podcasts, so I'm going to keep this very short. I'll remind my listeners to please help me grow the podcast if you like what you hear. Tell your friends about us. You can let people know they can find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, and pretty much everywhere. 
Also, the offcourseagility.com address will point to our Anchor homepage where you can listen to any of our uh, episodes. And if you have anything that you would like to uh, reach me about, uh, comments, good or bad, you can reach me at offcourse at optimum.net. Offcourse at optimum.net. And that'll wrap it for this episode. Happy trialing.